degrees. It's Indianapolis Center. Do you have any test operations restricted area 2508? Area 31, Roger. Traffic is quite luminous and is exhibiting some non-ballistic motion, over. Roger, Aries 31. Continue to sign at your discretion, over. Okay, Senator. The traffic is approaching head-on, altered right, and really moving. They're right by us, right now. There are a thousand UFO sightings reported around the world every month. Ninety percent of these sightings can be explained, but ten percent cannot. Officially and unofficially, the U.S. military has been investigating UFOs since 1947. Their top secret goal is to find out what's behind these unexplained sightings. The Pentagon classifies them as unusual airborne anomalies, but a better term is X-Files. Join us now as Mac Wanwan and Commander Cobra explore these unsolved cases, UFO incidents that baffle even the U.S. military. This is Mac Maloney's Military X-Files. And now, here's Mac Maloney. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Mac Maloney's Military X-Files show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. What a show we have for you tonight. But first, let me introduce the members of the posse. Girls, get ready. Sit down, get your fan, get your mister, get your big box of Kleenex, your big box of wipes, your squeegee, and your lube. Because the very famous Juan Juan is here. Hey, Mac. Hey, girls. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show, and I'm uh, glad to be here. Glad to be anywhere, actually. But who says that a lot? Keith, my man. Inyo. So how's, how are things over uh, across the puddle? It's uh, crappy sometimes. Crappy like, in uh, England. Uh-uh. The, country is, the country's in weird shape here. Oh, we, man. You know, we got, uh, Two months and he's already complaining. Yeah, no yeah. rain like you guys. Okay. We're getting, we're getting some rain this past week, so yes. it's been okay there. But No rain in England. Uh, everybody's on strike. Everybody's pissed off about their, their salary. The okay. trains are on strike from time to time. So yes. is the subway and so are the buses. Huh. Guess what? Who's on strike this week? The largest uh, port of entry for container cargo. Yes. Well, that'll be fun. Get the name of it. That's they're on strike for the whole week. Hmm. So if you're doing like moving your household goods and you say, "Gee, my bedroom set or my, my vinyl collections on that evergreen container," too bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, my- mostly this 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 freight handling company handles a lot of. Uh, Stuff that's not just in time, but it's stuff that was ordered. And, yeah. You know, months before. who cares when it arrives? But yeah, my, sure. I had a relative. And, okay. and the lawyers are on strike. The barristers. The law- oh. <laughs> How's anything getting are, done? Them, yeah. <laughs> the barristers are on strike. And a lot of them are paid by the government. They're doing public work. Mm. And the joke is here's the joke. Oh. The barrister gets less money than the barista. Wow, those British man, they're a freaking riot, aren't they? So listen, let's move the on. Guy, the guy making your coffee <laughs> is making more money than the guy okay. signing your documents. Wow, huh? Okay. Whatever. And you move there. What's the name so, of the town? Where do you live? What's the name of the town? Limington. Okay, and you're right on the, the uh, right on the sea, right? Southern Southern coast. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Huh? Watch the uh, ferry go to the Isle of Wight every wow. know, bunch of times a day. Okay. All right. Sounds charming. Yeah, there's a train train stop there, and but they're know, on strike. So strike. Well, the trains are on strike this week, but they're okay. on strike for a few but days. Only so the British they do would. Is they announce when they're going to be on strike. Yeah, they announce. So only they, the British would do that. Make it easy for We're going to be on strike next week. We're going to be on strike Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so, or three days in a row, whatever. Wow. And, wow. Uh, and they do it. They're, what the trains, happened? There might have to be a few trains they running. They used to rule the world, man. What happened? Oh, God. On, on the talk show, the, the topic is up for discussion is always, what is happened? Britain broken? <laughs> sure. Yeah, they've been talking about that for years. Really, everything's messed up. And I'm going to Eileen and going, what are we doing here? <laughs> I mean, I don't have really a nostalgic connection to the UK. You do, but I don't. Okay, all right. And I'm getting kind of bummed about well, it. Well, there goes that ad for the uh, you know British uh, tourist board. Listen, let's move <laughs> on a little bit. So that's, you know, the house got sold. We close uh, in a few weeks. Oh, okay, cool. 
Okay. Uh, the, the guy wants to buy my stuff. That the people who own it, they're they're a German couple. They want to buy my stuff. One of is uh, one one is buy my car from New Hampshire to England. Someone's buying your car. Yeah, some, he they want to buy it. Oh, really? Huh? I, I haven't really put it up officially put up for sale yet. I'm thinking, gee, after Dodge made that big announcement, yeah. in 2023 is going to yep. be the last year of the. And then they're going to make power challenges. Maybe yes. might be a collector's item. I'll tell you, man. I, if Give you had a bond, if you had a bond somewhere, just put it somewhere. I'm telling you, it's in the barn now, collecting dust. Yeah, but it'll be in someone else's bonds. You know what I mean? But I'm t- just in in five years, people are going to be looking for piston challenges and and mustangs and shit because they're doing it to them too. Anyway, yeah, let's move. That's on. What's going on here? Let's okay. move on. <laughs> yeah, Up there so. in the great state of Maine, in his bunker, formerly a no. Is what? Uh, is uh, what is it? It's a compound. It's a compound. It used to be a bunker. For tax purposes, for tax it's no purposes. longer a bunker. That's uh, the voice you hear is they know as Coco in the street, but we know him as Commander Coco. CC. Okay, a couple quick things here because uh, always I write notes when uh, AJ uh, is there. Go ahead. Uh, it's it's kind of sad that the Brit honeymoon is over. <laughs> the whole thing with the uh, barista, I think it's time to start uh, requesting Jack the Brown lawyers and love be uh, played on the airways. Yes. Um, I think uh, I remember my time in Germany that the uh, the Germans used to like to make fun of the Italians as they went on strike, uh, notoriously in the summer months, mm-hmm. where they believed strike was a different word, vacation, uh, in uh, in uh, Italy. It seems that may have that be something happening in the great. British Empire these days. Goodbye, uh, Italy. No, con- no connection. Uh, I'm sorry, but on behalf of Mac and myself and a few others on the team here, we had to live through your never-ending descriptions, uh, love affairs uh, with British uh, shows that played on PBS, oh, well, all varieties. Why are you going down that you don't road? have a connection. You're living the dream, my friend. You're living the dream. <laughs> You're eating up um, Raven's time. One, uh, one quick uh, part there that I wanted to throw in. Uh, you know that I can have that car of yours in safe storage here at the compound. Listen to him, dude. Uh, I drove by. I'm glad you let me know that somebody's looking at the house because I was getting ready. Uh, He's you know, stalking you already. Wouldn't so it be great not? if I opened the door uh, on the new owners and said, hey, hey uh, what the frig are you doing in JJ's house? Can uh, you imagine how <laughs> that would have hit the baby? Okay. All right. Moving on. Uh, no switchy um, tonight. I put the insurance back on it so it's ready to uh, ready be to driven go? and test driven. Uh, so it's ready to roll. Brand new tires I put on it before I left. Uh, off air, buddy. Off air. Off air. Uh, also, no switchy tonight. Switchy is on a secret mission. Uh, but joining us, the best part of the show, is our uh, favorite good witch up there in Sideways, New York. Raven is with us. Raven, how are you tonight, Raven? Oh, my God. Hi, my friends. Thank hmm. you so much for having me. Hmm. Lightens up the show immediately. It does. But- it is a bun night if you're keeping score. She she's, uh, she sucks up all the bandwidth of the entire Zoom session. You would your presence. <laughs> anyway, so night. it's disappearing into my. Oh, why? Why am I black and white? What? No, no, but you look. No, no, you look good. <laughs> wow. Oh, oh, so, now I'm in color. And now you got a slight shade, and it's funny what's going on with the camera. Yeah, yeah. It's, huh? it, it's it's something to do with your lighting. What is your? Are you, uh, having, are you having electrical problems? Do you have something got, you want to share with us? I got myself this super cute little ring light because my lighting is always really bad. But yeah. now it's it's semi decent. It's giving yeah. her a film noir kind of look. It's That's a film, oh, yeah, yeah, she's completely noir. Completely noir. <laughs> but it might be. Uh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Maloney, I'm ready for my close up. Okay, hang on. Uh, so, anyway, well, listen. So, tonight. I think he'll be ready for his residuals uh, going tonight. forward. Oh, hang on. 
She almost brought that that, that beer almost came out of her nose. That would have been. I, I uh, wanted to ask her what she was drinking tonight. What is the beer du jour tonight, Raymond? I have a uh, raspberry jammin from oh. Beer Tree, my oh. local my local brewery. Do you mind if we cut that out? No. Okay. Uh, Can't so, cut that out, Matt. Come on. No, listen. Uh, I tripped over a beer the other day. It's called a um, a sip of sunshine. <laughs> a sip of sunshine, and it's almost Ooh. it's it's. I don't That's like, a local one, isn't it? Yeah, it's somewhere up in the northeast, you know. I don't yeah. really like flavored beer, but it is kind of like lemonade-ish, man, and I think it's like nine and a half or something. You take half a can of it, and you don't care what it tastes like. But it's really good, a very good kind of summer-type drink, you know. Mrs. Cooper was pretty excited. She came home with a Jack Daniels and lemonade. And yeah. she was explaining oh. to me that it doesn't have any uh, uh, whiskey there's no bourbon in it. And I said, sweetie, that's uh, that's like 9% alcohol bourbon with lemonade. Yeah, yeah. She goes, oh, no, no. It's it's like uh, Jack Daniels or um, and it's got honey and lemonade. Uh-huh. And she's like through her second one. And then I watched her not be able to get up and grab the grab her buttocks and pulled her into a chair and she <laughs> but- didn't walk. <laughs> Gravity's putting the moves on Mrs. Cobra. What, what is? You, you didn't film that, did you? By no, any, no. By any chance? There's, there, no. There's, a, there's a very strong rule about filming one's uh, second little badger. There's All right. Well, going on. <laughs> Do we really have to hear that? Okay, so listen. Why don't we do this? Why don't we? I see one of our special guests is in the waiting room, the green room, as they say in the show's biz. So, and as they say in show biz. So, um, why don't we uh, take a break now and we'll bring him in and we'll be right back. You're listening to Mac Maloney's Military Action Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. We'll be right back. Whoa, there they are calling. After this, imagine if there was a super secret satellite in outer space that could read your thoughts and alter your reality. Imagine if the U.S. government had no knowledge that this satellite even existed. Now imagine if such a powerful weapon fell into the wrong hands. In the latest adventure of Mac Maloney's best-selling detective series, codenamed Starman, Lieutenant Chris Starr of the Navy's X-Files team is given his strangest case yet, track down the ghost of a rogue Navy SEAL who holds the secret to the God Satellite. Once again, teamed with beautiful Irish detective Maura McCann, Starr finds himself looking for clues from the streets of Rome to a mysterious snow-covered mountain in Arizona to Africa's forbidding skeleton coast, and finally, in outer space itself. But it's only when he realizes a secret vision in the desert points right back to where the case started does Star finally learn what the God Satellite is really about. That's the God Satellite, codenamed Starman, book number three by Mac Maloney, on sale on Amazon and in bookstores everywhere. And listen to Mac's show to learn how you can win a free copy. Welcome back, everyone, to Mac Maloney's Military Action Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. What a show we have for you tonight. Very quickly, the posse is uh, girls. Very famous. Juan Juan is here. Hello, Mac. Hello, girls. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. MILFs, Gills, and Gigi Gills, it's your night because uh, Coco is here. Amanda Coco. Always, always an honor to be on the wing there, Mac. Mm-hmm. Thank you. The chicken wing. Okay. Uh, also with us is our uh, good friend um, Raven up there in Sideways, New York, Raven. 
Hi, my friends. Thanks for having me. She has a new light. She has a new light tonight. We should be a TV show. We got to be a YouTube show or something. <laughs> miss it out on a lot. Yeah, now it really looks good. It's kind of softer and uh, yeah, giving her some softer. highlights there. Wow, the softer raven. Hmm. Anyway, yeah, soft. Look at. We have two guests tonight. <laughs> we should be here ourselves. Okay, first of all, uh, my literary agent Jim Franklin is here. Jim, how you doing? Howdy. Jim I'm Franklin. here despite traffic. Uh, computer software updates that Zoom demanded of me before yes. I could get in. Oh. Yeah. And other weird you're stuff. In the club. Yeah. Okay. You're down in the modern, club, modern problem. Yeah. Well, you, you're down in North Carolina, right? I sure I am. Okay. So I think I asked this before. If you had to get north of the Mason Dixon line, how far of a drive would that be for you? I'm not sure exactly where the Mason Dixon line is. Okay. You should probably Maryland and Pennsylvania. There you go. Yep. I've actually seen the markers. Okay. Well, it's probably about um, 250 miles. Watch out there, Jim. I, I'll be coming through your uh, fair part of the country. There you go. Maybe I'll swing in and see it. He'll drop a we'll bomb lock the doors. Okay. Lock the doors. He'll be flying yeah. in. That won't help. <laughs> also with us is our good friend, Phil Ovanes. Phil, how you doing, Phil? Doing very well tonight. Thank you, Mac. Uh, he's down in uh, a very – I don't know why I, I have to mention this all the time. You're in a very, very um, exclusive neighborhood, would you say? Except yes. for the drought, it's pretty nice down here, but yep. the drought's pretty nasty this year. It's uh, Magnolia, yeah. Massachusetts, down near Gloucester, down near Rockport. Uh, very I have a little family in Magnolia. Yeah. It's a nice place. I mean, it's let's face it. Uh, but anyway, so tonight, so uh, Phil is someone who, um, he is the, um, uh, what's what's your uh, title at the game company, please, Phil? I'm the vice chairman, mm -hmm. which is a glorified title to say that I can give advice and they can take it or leave it. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Okay. <laughs> wow. Not a bad gig when you think about it. It seems, it seems like a parental role. So they, uh, yeah, 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 really? Yeah, absolutely. So, so what the, what uh, Phil's company does is that they, they make the games that you grow up with, like Monopoly, different kinds of Monopoly, Risk. And uh, can you wrap off a few more there, Phil, please? Shoot some ladders. Uh, we, we do the classic editions of Boggle, Yahtzee, Sorry. Uh, Twister, Twister. Uh, if you're a little girl, Pretty Pretty Princess, which is a big seller. That's one. Scrabble, we have several editions of Scrabble. Scrabble, oh, uh, and our quality is always our hallmark. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, and the stuff is cool, and and the and the uh, like the kind of vintage risk games are also very cool. Yeah, we have. I used one, to love Twister. We have one more coming next year too, which will be the 1980s edition. Oh, really? Yeah. One more. One one is Twister with or without clothes, just for the uh, uh, visual. No clothes oh, and lots of alcohol. alcohol. I'm going to have to edit it out. <laughs> hey, I, I want to throw in uh, Mr. Phil as a fantastic book, Tortured Cardboard, that uh, I just absolutely adore that. Yeah, I had a lot of fun writing that Fellow one. writer. A lot of fun. What's the matter with you? Tortured Cardboard. Tortured Cardboard. Tortured Cardboard. Okay. Which is an inside joke in the industry. It's about, you know, board games and stuff. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so tonight what we're going to talk about is um, uh, the KGB, at least part of the show. Now the KGB was um, it, it's it's mostly associated with you could say or compared to uh, the American CIA. They did a little bit more than the American CIA uh, does. They're no longer with us, but basically they did intelligence gathering and also counterintelligence. But they were also border guards and they were the bodyguards for the Central Committee and all that stuff. But basically, the KGB is basically Russia's CIA, and. Um, they were they were really feared. We were talking about this off here. You know, they they were really feared by the um, Soviet Union population. They were around from uh, fifty four to I think ninety or ninety one, and um, uh, when the Soviet Union fell, and 
you know, they're known for everything, torture and just kind of, you know, dirty tricks and so on and so forth. It, it, they're always, they're the boogeyman and everything. And, you know, Man from Uncle for every, every spy story, all the James Bond spy series and stuff. I mean, basically, it's the KGB is mixed up in it somehow. But they have this reputation that really isn't um, deserved, okay, because they bungled stuff almost more, as often as they, you know, actually did something that was right, in quotes, for the Soviet Union. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight, 10 times that the KGB kind of screwed up. So, Phil, is that right? How's that for the elevator pitch? It's a long ride. It's good. It's good. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, seeing as it's um, – and so it's, uh, Phil's going to uh, tell us the top ten uh, times that the KGB kind of effed up. But before we do that, we actually have a top ten list. Raven, do you have it in front of you, Raven? I have it in front of okay. me. Okay. The top ten tonight is top ten reasons why JJ, why 1-1 is, was not in the KGB. Let's do that again. Uh, All top, right. Top ten reasons why Juan Juan was not in the KGB. Am I right about that, Raven? I can't remember. You're correct. Okay. So why don't we start the music and number ten, please. Number ten. He loves too much moose and squirrel. I can't do a Russian accent. <laughs> think, think about it now. Too much. Think about it. <laughs> It would be a great Natasha, though. <laughs> yeah. Say hello to moose and squirrel. Yeah, right, right. I used to watch those. Oh, my God. I used oh, to yeah. love that cartoon. Number nine. Uh, number nine. When he hears someone say red square, he thinks, oh, good, checkers. No, listen, no, but that's a common mistake. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Got an oh, my God, all the way down in North Carolina. They want it. Okay, number eight, please. Number eight. He thinks Kremlin is something you pour on your brulee. Come on. <laughs> wow. Sorry, Wani. Okay. Uh, number six. Well, is, this is funny. Kremlin is not funny. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're finding that out, Jim. Okay. Next, please. <laughs> uh, number seven. Uh, have you ever tried walking around with a phone in your shoe? <laughs> you me. Come on. Wow. Okay. Tough, tough crowd. Okay. Next, please, Raven. These are the top 10 reasons why one one was not in the KGB. Oh, Number six, uh, he failed to make the softball team. There you go. You're in the triad. <laughs> Third base. Uh, next, please. Uh, number five, he really hated vodka as a kid. There's a reason. <laughs> vodka was his dog. <laughs> oh, wow. Next, please. Right. Uh, four, uh, while appreciating that Russian chicks are always super hot, he feared they really didn't want to know the quote-unquote inner Juan Juan. It's always a problem, right? <laughs> wow, let's go. Next, please. Right? Number three. They didn't pay dental. See, that's oh, another no. problem. Mm-mm. Ironic, that was a showstopper right there. Yeah. Ironic, considering where you live. Wow, uh, okay. And where are we? Number, number two. Oh. They refused to install machine guns in his 1971 Toyota Celica. 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 Yes. Celica. Celica, though, is Because so if you had a Celica right now on the driveway, you could say, I'm going to take a drive in my Celica. <laughs> I don't know car names. <laughs> okay. All right, want to do it again? Let's do it again. Number two. Please. Yes, let's do it again. Uh, they refused to install machine guns in his 1971 Toyota Celica. 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 Oh, my wow. God. <laughs> okay. I thought it was the uh, cannabis-infused salsa, but I guess not. Oh, my God. <laughs> Why don't we do it one more time? Number two, please, Raven. Number two. Number two. They refused to install machine guns in his 1971 Toyota Celica. There you go. So no deal. So no deal, he said. 
Wow. Okay. Long road. Sucked too. <laughs> but the joke of the fact that he can give you the MGs in your right. Yeah, okay. I needed those machine guns. Right. At least one. Uh, and Raven, so are we down to uh, number one? I hope we're down to number one. Okay. Number one reason JJ was not in the KGB. He joined KFC instead. Oh, <laughs> right. Big I thought it was close That's enough. Good. I like that. Close, <laughs> close enough, yep. Yeah. Jim, I stole that from your email. Sorry. So anyway, so why don't we do this? Why don't we take a real quick break, and then we'll be back with top 10 reasons how the KGB kind of uh, goofed up over the years. Uh, you're listening to Mac Maloney's Military X-Files right here on the uh, Distant Thunder Radio Network. We'll be right back after this. There's a monster in Tokyo Bay, hundreds of feet tall and breathing fire. It's able to destroy whole cities, sink entire battle fleets, and knock swarms of jet fighters from the sky. But there's another even more dangerous resident of the bay. A secretive psychopath intent on covering the planet with nuclear-armed booby traps unless the world's population bends to their demands. Meanwhile, a mysterious group of reborn medieval warriors has taken to the air. Strange signals are being picked up from outer space, and witnesses report seeing hundreds of ghost planes flying in the night skies over Tokyo. Sailing off the coast of Japan aboard the United American Navy's mega aircraft carrier, the USS USA, it's Hawk Hunter, the wingman. He must investigate these unusual occurrences while trying to thwart the criminal's apoplectic plan. But will his actions save the planet or lead to World War IV? Find out in Mac Maloney's exciting new novel, The Jericho Storm. Filled with dozens of dogfights, sea battles, and brutal hand-to-hand -hand combat, The Jericho Storm is book 21 in Mac's best-selling Wingman series. Team up with Hawk's longtime allies, as well as a few new ones, including fighter pilots Switchblade Steve Ward and Jocko Johnson. That's Wingman 21, The Jericho Storm. On sale now at your local bookstore and on Amazon. Welcome back, everyone, to Mac Maloney's Miltrax, our show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. Wow, what a show we have for you tonight. Very, very quickly, I'll introduce the members of the posse. Girls, the very famous one, one is here. Hello, Mac. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. Milfs, Gilfs, and Gigi Gilfs. Coco is here. Come in, Coco. Always. Okay. For the rest of our audience, Raven is here. Raven. Hi. Okay. It is a bun night. It is a bun night. It's a yep. solo bun night, and everything else is, it's an all bun. Wow. Looks a little like Everything's in that bun. Like Everything's cat, in the bun. There's a cat I think I might have some um, pizza bagels up here, too. Up there, too. Oh, wow. <laughs> Dinner and a show. Um, also, uh, and to do school, all right? Uh, also with us is uh, my literary agent, Jim Franco. Jim, how are you doing? Hi, everybody. Glad to be here. Down there in North Carolina. It's a beautiful late afternoon in Chapel Hill. And the area of the country. Also, it depends. Also, uh, with us is uh, Phil O'Banes, who is the uh, vice president of advice. Is that it, Phil? Vice chairman. Vice chairman of advice for uh, Winning Moves, uh, the company that makes all those games that you remember from uh, years and years ago, and also um, the Ouija board as well, right, Phil? Right, big seller nowadays. Is it really why? Because everything's so effed up. 
Yeah, because times are bad, it's uncertain, and whenever that happens, the Ouija board is more popular. Wow, that's scary really? in itself, that man. The Republican Periodically true for decades. Uh, wow. wow. So maybe all this time it's just big Ouija doing this to us. They are the puppet maybe masters so. almost. Uh, so anyway, so tonight we're talking about uh, the KGB, uh, Russia's kind of uh, Russia's CIA, and they had this reputation that you you saw in books and in movies and TV shows and just in the news of being some really badass people. And I'm sure that they did have some badass people, spies and everything. But there were times that they monumentally screwed up. And um, we're going to talk about the top ten of uh, those tonight. And uh, Phil, you're kind of like the show historian, so take it away, please. Okay. Well, uh, first, as a uh, note up front, the term KGB, which is an abbreviation for the Russian name for their um, global spy operation, as Mac pointed out, uh, is one of many names that uh, that apparatus had over the years. But I'm not going to confuse anybody tonight by trying to mention the prior names. So I'll use KGB as if it had been in effect from the very beginning. And uh, so the forerunner of the KGB actually revved up in America after FDR recognized the Soviet Union in November of 1933. And Roosevelt's reasons on the surface were practical. He felt it was the Depression. Uh, we, he needed to open up more business opportunities for American companies, and Russia could be a big market. But he also knew, at least in part, that the Soviet Union was attempting to undermine the entire world from with, within each country and spread global communism. And before he allowed the Soviet Union to open consulates and an embassy in the U.S., he got them to solemnly pledge that they would not do that here in the United States of America. And uh, after they agreed to that solemn pledge, uh, he allowed them to open up for business. And of course, that was a uh, lie. They never intended. Uh, and they were already at work setting up the KGB in America when recognition finally came. So the... Uh, organization that was uh, set up in Russia to promulgate, uh, promulgate and to bring about world communism was called the Communist International or the Comintern. And uh, they used as a vehicle to recruit Americans to spy for them, hatred of fascism uh, and perhaps um, skepticism about capitalism. And their main goal was to enlist artists, intellectuals, and eventually uh, many, many people in government to uh, provide intelligence for the Soviet Union. Now, the KGB, when they came into the U.S., basically already had this tailwind behind them of the Comintern's efforts. And at first, the KGB had clear sailing. The FBI in the early 1930s or mid-1930s was literally paying no attention to them. <clears throat> the reason for this was because they were focused on gangsters. And then eventually, German and Japanese spies that were considered to be a much more immediate threat. So the KGB had uh, really no worries during this period of time. And recruitment of Americans well-placed in government and industry uh, was not at all difficult because many of them intellectually accepted without question this relentless Soviet propaganda of a worker's paradise in Russia. And uh, in addition, the Russian government 
through one of the people who you're going to meet in a few minutes, Jacob yes. Golos, yes. sponsored tours of uh, influential Americans to come into uh, Moscow and see how wonderful the country was mm. and go back and with their firsthand knowledge, you know, enthusiastically spread the word that communism was better than capitalism or <laughs> democracy. Now, of course, what was going on in Russia was extremely well-controlled tours yes. and censorship to make sure that nobody saw just how horrifying it was for the regular people who were... Can I ask a question, <laughs> Phil? Can I ask? Uh, do you think... But don't you think people knew that? Or did people know that? Didn't they know that the Russians were just kind of putting up this front when they went and well, visited? Well, first of all, not at first. But secondly, and I'm going to get to that because that's the number one item on the list that brings about the KGB's downfall. Um, so at first they had an easy time getting um, Americans in both industry and government to provide them with secrets. And the rationale was, hey, it's going to be great if the whole world is communist. And secondly, mm. Hitler and Germany and Nazism are really the enemy. And if you help us by giving us these secrets, you're really helping the world. You're helping your yes. own country. And they bought into that. They framed it. I know it. it's, you have to understand that, you know, there has to be some reason why they would betray their own country. And hundreds of them did. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was fundamental to the logic that a lot of them used to justify their, their sedition. Mm. Um, so with the uh, advocacy of the Comintern, the KGB really was able to set up shop, especially in New York, Washington, and San Francisco, mm -hmm. and began running many, many spy networks of Americans who were feeding them what they were looking for. This is 40s but, and 50s, right? 40s and 50s? Yeah, and this would be in the 30s. This 30s? Would be in, well, before oh, World yeah, War II? The, the, third, the heyday of the KGB goes all the way back to the late 30s. Oh, wow. But the seeds of their downfall were actually being laid from within because the KGB was not the only Russian spy agency. Mm. The Red Army had its own intelligence group called the GRU, mm -hmm. and the two of them uh, were told, hands off, you operate separately. You know, the Russian military was looking for information mm -hmm. that might help them to be prepared for the next war or whatnot, and probably stealing, you know, military yes. secrets, right. whereas the KGB was more focused on undermining the government. But hmm. inevitably, they began the clash because they tried to recruit the same people as more and more Americans volunteered, there were obviously fewer candidates. Mm -hmm. And so that competition was irksome to the KGB. And, um, but that wasn't it. They also, there was a, the Communist Party of the United States yes. run by an American named Brower, who supposedly was just a political party. And all they were doing was advocating, you know, their political philosophy, much as the Nazi party in America advocated Nazism. It was big, yeah, it was big. But yeah, in yeah. reality, the Communist Party was another front for espionage, and they actually had quite a bit of success, which, again, mm. was the envy of the KGB. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, you had uh -huh. this multi-network intelligent beast, and yet there was even one more group, and this was an ultra-top-secret KGB group that the regular KGB agents knew nothing about. And hmm. its main purpose was to get rid of uh, ex-Russians who came to the United States yes. advocating the downfall of Stalin. And this was also the group, as Back pointed out, that if you needed an assassination or somebody wiped out, they got the job. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So what was you, had, name? you had these four different groups competing. Now we get to the top 10 list. Okay. 
Uh, well, at this hey, point, Phil. we're talking now in the late 1930s, everything is going swimmingly for the KGB. Okay. So the very first reason why the KGB began to falter actually was Joseph Stalin himself, the dictator of communist Russia. Because starting in around 1932, and especially by the late 30s, Stalin was devouring his own. He had decided that he would arrest all of his political opponents, and for that matter, some of his supporters yes. in Russia, yes, if yes. he suspected they might be double-thinking uh, and wanting his re removal. So mm -hmm. he held show trials, and the uh, opposition and even the loyal communist leaders in the show trials were all convicted, and they were all shot. Uh -huh. and, uh -huh. And yeah, and then it began to spread. He decided that, well, why stop with my political components? So he put a million people in the gulags. Mm. Then he had civil servants, soldiers, artists, and intellectuals suspected of disloyalty. He had them shot. Oh, in geez. fact, a million people disappeared rather quickly. Wow. And now here we get to the KGB, who yes. was killing or shooting all of these people on behalf of Stalin. Mm. Well, KGB agents. Yes. So what, did, so what did Stalin do once he had gotten rid of all of this opposition? He had the KGB agents shot. Yeah. He had the leader of the KGB shot. Just clean up the loose details. He had those who did the shooting kill those who shot oh, the man. original people. Wow. You know what Stalin's motto was? Yeah. Never be too careful. Never be too careful. For <laughs> Yikes. So wow. it was brutal. And now it came to the U.S. And how did it come to the U.S.? Well, things were going so well with the KGB in America that Stalin decided it couldn't be true. Mm. He decided that his KGB leaders in the U.S. must be cooperating with the FBI, and the FBI was actually orchestrating this illusion. Mm -hmm. So one by one, he began to bring these leaders home and shoot them. Wow, man. And he replaced them at first with underlings who had not as much understanding as um, the ones who had been killed. Yeah, phantoms. Then after he brought them home and killed them, he sent over almost completely untrained leaders who mm. knew nothing about America. Mm -hmm. So the continuity that the KGB had enjoyed was destroyed by Stalin. Mm -hmm. Isn't that amazing? But here's the thing, though. So, well, you, you, you I was going to say, who's to blame this? Obviously, it's Stalin. But, but I know he was like a tyrant, the dictator, everything. Okay, but didn't wouldn't he at least know that? You know, for instance, if they gave a piece of intelligence from the spy network to them and it came true, or if ten of them came true, wouldn't he know like the veracity of the spy network? through that kind of means? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but he he rationalized this by saying that the FBI wanted him to think that. So he was he was a he is, the man was a psycho. He mean, was a psycho. Paranoia strikes deep. So now let's, that's, that's point number one. But okay. here's point number two, which follows right on the heels of it. So now that the established leadership has been turned over and these new Stalin appointees come into the U.S. and they think that they know everything, yes. despite having virtually no, you know, uh, training. They become aware of all the so-called amateurs, and I even haven't mentioned one other group, which is now appropriate to mention, mm -hmm. and it's this: if you were a spy for the KGB, and you were working inside the New York consulate or the Washington embassy, yes. you were considered a legal, not illegal, but legal. 
because you had a cover job. Mm -hmm. You know, you were you were a technician, you were a code writer, you were a diplomat on the surface, but in reality, you were KGB. And more than half of the people in these locations were actually KGB yeah. agents wow. and always the station chief. And that's the one that Stalin kept replacing. Yeah, yeah. But in addition, the problem with being a legal spy is that you, the FBI knew who worked at the embassy and they could follow them. Yes. So it made it very difficult for a lot of these people to actually be hugely effective. Mm -hmm. So in addition to that, the KGB opened up a, the so-called illegal uh, spy network. Now, the illegals were Soviet KGB agents posing as Soviet businessmen who came into the United States and opened up ordinary businesses. Yes. And they would establish themselves and probably blend in for quite some time before conducting active espionage. Yes. And the illegals were unknown to the FBI, at least at first. And that meant that they had much greater range and scope to recruit Americans to spy for the Soviet Union. Okay. Um, the problem with an illegal is that if you were caught, you could be tried and convicted here in America. Okay, yep. You didn't, you didn't get sent back home. Yeah, you if you home. were a legal KGB agent at the consulate in New York, let's say, yep. and you were exposed, the worst that could happen to you is that you would be given your um, kick out the door right. and back to the Soviet Union where Stalin would kill you. Okay. So how many how many spies are we talking about in the country at its, at its highest level, would you say? Well, there was at least at the peak 500 Americans working for the KGB, wow. the Communist Party, the GRU, um, and this secret branch. Mm -hmm. And there were probably, maybe there was 100 KGB agents. Really? Yeah. How fun. I wow. mean, it wasn't a lot. They just had, as you pointed out, they had a, a reputation for being far bigger far more potent than they really were. Yes, yes. Wow, that's yeah, wild. So, so so 500 people, so 500 traders, basically, what did they do to the country? I mean, did we catch it in time? No. No, we're getting to that. Okay, we're getting to that. That's one of the points. Right. But anyways, now these new arrogant KGB leaders come in, and the first thing they, they realize is they're not alone. They're working on espionage, but most of the really good spying is being done through the Communist Party and maybe even the, the Russian military. So they decide they've got to push out these amateurs. I mean, how in the world can amateurs do what they can do? So it backfires. You know the old adage, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So their arrogance, their intimidation of critics, their uh, intimidation, uh, pardon me, of the amateurs, their uh, resistance to criticism, their belief that communism could do no wrong, that's why they decided the amateurs had to go. And point number three is that, and I've already alluded to this, all of these different agencies created rivalries and internal conflict. It was almost like, you know, at a football game, you take the field with your 11 players, but then another team comes in, you know, with 11 players and they're fighting to get, you know, um, attention as well. Uh, and you can only have 11 players on the field at the time. So the rivalry led to a lot of envy. Now we get to a specific, and this is point number four. The single most effective spy leader for Russia was an amateur, if you will call him that, named Jacob Golos. He had been trained and sent here from the 19-teens, and by the 1930s, he had a beautiful cover operation. 
he was one, running a firm named World Tourist in New York City that sponsored travel literally around the world, but focused on these trips by organized groups to the Soviet Union to be you know, brainwashed. Well, Golos used this cover brilliantly to run several American spy networks in Washington, um, the Perlow Group, the Silverman Group, and by the way, Julius and Ethel Rosenberg were sponsored and trained by Golos. Mm -hmm. And he was bringing about a great amount of government information secrets um, to Joseph Stalin. And his number one assistant was a 30-something-year-old woman named Elizabeth Bentley. Yes. Now, both Golos and Bentley are going to figure in future points. Bentley was his chief courier at first. She would go to Washington. They were based in New York, he and, and, and Bentley. She would be sent to Washington and meet with all of the leaders of the American uh, spy operations like Perlow and Silverman, and they would give her microfilm that contained page after page of secret American diplomatic, military, governmental, State Department documents. She would stuff them into her handbag and bring them back to Golos, and then Golos, through his other team members, would get them to Russia. Uh, at one point, she even is reported saying that her handbag was so filled with microfilm, and she noticed an FBI agent on the train <clears throat> walking back and forth she was convinced that she was going to be exposed and the microfilm would be, you know, identified, but it never happened. She and Golos never had a misstep, but Golos began to be hounded by the KGB to turn over his networks. And at first he resisted because quite frankly, and now think about this, leaders like Perlow and Silverman and the few others that had established very carefully these American networks feared the KGB, yes. as Mac pointed out, they did not want to report to an organization known for its brutality and terror. Mm -hmm. They trusted Golos, they trusted the American Communist Party, but the KGB was relentless in their pressure on Golos. And lo and behold, at the age of 54, he had a heart attack and died mm. in Elizabeth Bentley's apartment in New York City. Yes. So... The abuse of Jason, uh, Jacob Golos and his death is point number four, because when the KGB it effectively killed Golos, they killed the most productive mm. spy master in America. Wow. Wow. You know, so how smart could they be? Do you know what I mean? Well, if they, if they yeah. keep screwing this well, up. Well, it was arrogance and a belief that communism could not make a mistake, Mac. <laughs> wow. Elizabeth Bentley took over. And on the day, you know, on the night that Golos died, this woman knew exactly what to do. She let him, his corpse, rest on the floor of her apartment. Mm. She raced to the office of his world tourist business and also his shipping company he had two businesses. Yes. She got everything out of his safes that could incriminate him. Uh, she brought it back to her apartment, burned it in her fireplace, and then she called the police to report the death. Wow. That's how I met one one. He came and he uh, sanitized yeah. my... So, yeah. so Bentley now took over by default, but of course the KGB had no intent of letting a woman in particular run these American networks okay. and they began to run roughshod over oh. her. And even though she was, Idiots. you know, an American from Vassar, uh, a, a communist with pure heart and ideology, mm -hmm. it appalled her 
to see how these new KGB agents were actually living up, living life to the hilt yes. uh, in New York City. Yeah. And, and not at all parsimonious like Golos was mm-hmm. uh, and honoring, you know, the communist philosophy of Don't have fun. Know, being equal and whatnot. Yep. So uh, when they finally started to threaten her life because she wasn't cooperating, yes. she did the only thing she felt she could do, because by this point, it's 1945, mm. the war is over, it's November, she realizes communism is a fraud, yes. and she decides to come in from the coal, and yes. she turned herself into the FBI. Wow, huh? So, mm. This was point five, and this is probably, you know, the greatest mistake the KGB could make okay. is to underestimate the uh, determination, the intelligence, and the... Uh, uh, sort of the sense of revenge that Bentley had on behalf of her dead lover. Mm -hmm. So now Bentley uh, is working for the FBI Mm -hmm. and the KGP can't get at her. Uh, She now begins to accuse openly all of these leading Americans that she knows for a fact were spying for the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. And she becomes the star witness at the House Un-American hearings with Joe McCarthy so, and that, that with Joe McCarthy and all those guys. No, not that's before McCarthy. We oh, really? Him. Yeah. Huh? Uh, so, but this is like you know, 1948 thereabouts. Okay. And here's the thing that's significant: everything that she says is absolutely true, verifiable fact, mm-hmm. but not at the time. Mm-hmm. And the reason why we know. This is fact because of point number seven, okay. which is the Venona Project. Okay. The Venona Project was the Army's ultimately successful attempt to decode the supposedly unbreakable Soviet diplomatic code mm. in which they hid all of the messaging going back between New York, Washington, and Moscow. And they were not successful in cracking it universally because it couldn't be cracked. It was basically one time only each message. But yes the thousands of messages that they had decoded by 1948 verified everything she was saying. Hmm. But they felt they, this is the FBI, that they could not reveal this in court because then they would alert the Russians that they were reading their messages. What, What the FBI and the Army's signal corps did not know is that on the day that the code was broken, a Russian KGB agent working in the Venona project saw the results and alerted Moscow. <laughs> so the very fact that we were so zealously guarding the secret was moot. Yes, right. The Russians already knew and they had already changed their code. But of course, the messaging that the Venona project was was unraveling were messages that had been sent during World War II right. and that had been copied by RCA. Because RCA received the messages and gave them to the FBI. Okay, all right. So they were able to continue to go back and look and decode messages and find out the names of Americans who were, you know, being um, seduced, uh, if you will, exposed by Elizabeth Bentley. Oh, yes. Well, many of these Americans had, they were Americans of high influence. They had a lot of friends yep. in the press and otherwise. And Bentley became the target of character assassination. <laughs> you know, she was a drunk. She was a psychopath. Huh. She was sexually insatiable. I'll she tell was you, man. This, she was that. Here's your movie. You know, and it all detracted from the fact that, you know, she had told the truth. Yes. Uh, but I think what probably happened at that point is that most of America now knew for sure that Stalin 
the Soviet Union and certainly the KGB yes. were enemies and not friends. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's so Bentley and the Venona Project were points six and seven. Yes. And Bentley will come back one more time, by the way. Okay. But point number eight to me is the real note of humor in the list. Okay. And it's, I had mentioned earlier that these KGB station chiefs, one right after the other, uh, lost continuity with the past because they had no connection to it. They okay. weren't, you know, like the number two or the number three guy who watched what was going on for a few years before taking over. Okay. They were just given a month's training and then just sent here hmm. with all of the arrogance that, you know, the Moscowites had in coming to America. Well, at the time when one of these poorly trained chiefs came into New York City, there had been for years inside the Soviet consulate a KGB hidden cache of weapons <laughs> hidden in a cabinet behind a kitchen cabinet. Yes. And the, you know, this was a no, no, you were not to ever have spy apparatus uh, that could be discovered by the FBI okay. in the consulate, because then the FBI would clearly be able to say, you're just a front. Yep. You know, you're not yep. a legitimate diplomatic uh, agency. You are here to spy in America. You're all out. And, and you know, when the president would have to go along with it. Well, Despite that, they had this hidden cache, which at one point had explosives, poison, uh, handguns, <laughs> ammunition, and all the paraphernalia that spies might use, you know, to do away or torture people. Yes. Well, as time went on, the station chiefs lost track of it. They literally didn't know where it was. <laughs> cool. They were pretty sure that the explosives that had been stored in there had been had been removed, but they knew that the weapons, the poisons and whatnot, it was there. Well, along about 19, I forget what year it was, it was right after World War II, um, the Russians lost the lease on this mansion that has their consulate. Okay. They couldn't come to terms. And I think the owner of the building just wanted them out anyway, because he probably wasn't getting enough rent. Okay. So now they had to move. Yes. So now you can imagine the panic. They're moving, and nobody knows where they left the weapons and junk behind. <laughs> yeah, cool, man. For the KGB, and they finally have to leave without ever finding it. Oh, wow. And their greatest fear for years was that the new tenant of the building would accidentally stumble on it yes. and expose them. Yeah, yeah. What happened? But, but, but they never did, wow. fortunately. Mm -hmm. And there was another sort of parallel to this KGB madness that was going on at the time. The most effective spies for the KGB were those who came forward and said, I want to help the Soviet Union. Okay. And they did this very often in return for nothing. Hmm. They refused payment. If, in fact, the KGB wanted to give them gifts, they thought that was an insult Chance. because they so believed in you know, the propaganda that had driven them to help the Soviet Union in the first place. Right. But these new KGB agents had for some strange reason, an affinity for celebrities. Mm -hmm. And they really thought they should be recruiting out in Hollywood and also other people who had uh, Hollywood. You know, social status. Yes. Not people who knew what they were doing. And yes. Well, one of those people Hollywood's was a good Martha choice. Dodd, who was the daughter of the former American ambassador to Germany in the 30s. Okay. And Dodd is just absolutely infamous for having slept with Nazis, Whoa. French intelligence, a KGB agent, uh, she, when she was stationed in Berlin, probably had more lovers than anybody on the continent. Yes. 
And the KGB agent <laughs> oh who was assigned to you know, get as much as he could from her yes. was actually brought back by Stalin and shot what? because Stalin was convinced, you know, <laughs> run out of was, batteries. He yes. was cooperating with her. Wow. So anyways, they continued to pursue her and she actually, you know, played along with them well into the 1950s. Um, she lived into the 1990s, I think. And another notable who um, was really pursued by uh, Stalin was a businessman named Armin Hammer. Oh, yeah. Now, you remember Armin Hammer? He ran Occidental Petroleum yep. for decades. Yep. Well, he was the son of a Odessa-born communist named Julius Hammer, who did spy for Russia. Yes. And he even got his other sons to spy for him. But the, the record seems to indicate that Armin Hammer held out. Um, and the Alabama. Soviets, despite all of their efforts to convert him, failed. Yes. But one person that they got almost immediately without much effort was Ernest Hemingway. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah he was a, a page by. Can I just ask you a real quick question? I mean, yeah. this Armin Hammer, does, did he get the joke about his name? Was that an intentional kind of joke, Armin Hammer? It, it sort of seems that way, doesn't it? Armin Hammer? Yeah. I always thought that. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, right, I was wondering well, that. Maybe I'm, his father was in a good uh, frame of mind I'm, when he was born. Amaham's a famous uh, begging sort of company. So number eight is really the bungling by the KGB station chiefs that were sent in from Moscow mm -hmm. and their poor choices of who they should be recruiting for spies. So now sort of picture this. Uh, all of the Americans who had worked, you know, without compensation and worked loyalty for the KGB all during World War II, they now bolted once Elizabeth Bentley had named them mm -hmm. in the House on American Hearings, because they either had a show she was wrong and they were, you know, just ordinary people out there working in their garden or yep. whatnot, yeah, yeah. or they actually left the country. Wow. Uh, because they knew they would be African. Where do you go? Where do you go? Do you have to go to Russia? Do you have to go to a communist country just to stay? Well, safe? I mean, one like Harry Dexter White went to Colombia hmm. and got wow. a job in the Colombian government for many years. Yes. Others went to Canada. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. We have a lot of uh, listeners. In now, point number nine, the yes. ninth reason is the rise of Joseph McCartney. McCarthy. Well, now, it's it's not my mission here. And I know we don't have enough time to go into all, the whole thing about the McCarthy era. Okay. But what came out of the McCarthy era was a general awareness by the average American that the so-called peaceful equality of communism as expelled by Soviet Union was a lie. Yeah, and but so also, now, can we just say, Phil, so real now, quick? Rather than Phil, having... Phil, can we say, can we feel, we got to say real quick. That Joe McCarty was like this, a, a, a like typical egomaniac politician, yep. and he grabbed onto this thing about how many communists are really out there type thing, and yeah, and beat the drum for it. quite a while. And and On this list, you know, yeah, and and yeah, he'd hold the paper and say all the names in this list are communists, and you know, it, it could have been a phone book. Um, you know, yeah. paid. I mean, basically, he was the equivalent of Stalin saying, "Here's my list of everybody I want to shoot," because I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure that they're. I'm not. I'm not pretty sure. I'm certain. <clears throat> You know, but he ruined he ruined a lot of lives. He, true, he did find real communists, but he ruined a lot of lives unnecessarily just for his political yeah. climb. You know, and the fact that he you know dropped dead from uh, you know just kind of wear himself out, uh, yeah. you know, is the uh, so anyway. I'm I'm sorry I interrupted. Go please. Right. So that was point number nine. Is that you know McCarthy basically uh, following up on Bentley shut down the KGB in America for some time, uh, and the final point is the only organization that was really uh, succeeding at this point was the Communist Party of the United States. But Bentley and Golos were very cozy with the Communist mm. Party. 
and mm. Bentley exposed them. Oh. And when she did that, the Communist Party now lost its credentials and credibility, yep. which meant that this you know party that I don't know how many members they had at its peak, but it was significant. Uh, they no longer had the opportunity to spy and assist the KGB. The KGB may not have liked the Communist Party, but they sure benefited from all of the uh, connections the Communist Party had. Yeah, sure. So hmm. at the end of this um, time, the FBI exposed the Communist Party as an arm of the KGB. Yes. So the KGB now basically lost its greatest uh, network of rats, if you will, Go in ahead. America. Mm -hmm. And uh, today, the Communist Party still exists because, after all, this is a democracy. Do they really? Yeah. Huh. But get this. It has under 10,000 members, yeah. 1,500 of whom for, 1,500 of whom informed for the FBI. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> no problem there getting employment. Okay. Huh? Yeah. Wow. Now, just, and there's one more thing we should say in postscript. The, the KGB effed up, yes. you know, one step after another yes. between the early 1940s and right up until the time that uh, the Soviet Union fell in 1991. But- it should be pointed out that they had big successes. You know, they stole a huge amount mm -hmm. of tech, including the secrets of the atomic bomb. Yes, right. Um, they knew everything that FDR would do before his staff knew what he would do because of the insights that they were being given wow. uh, by their spies. Uh, one reason Stalin was so effective in dealing with Roosevelt is that not only did he, you know, anticipate, he knew what Roosevelt would be asking him. Yes. Funny. Yeah. Wow. Hey, Phil, is that number 10? That was it. Okay, let's give Phil a round of applause, please. Phil O'Banes. Thanks, Phil. <laughs> the top 10 was great. times that, that the awesome. KGB threw up on itself over the years. And and then they, they disbanded in 91, and they've uh, kind of morphed into something called the FSB, which I think is a federal... I think it's the federal yeah, the, the service. The thing that's Bureau? really interesting about this is that when they when they went away briefly, mm -hmm. the KGB archives were literally open. And mm -hmm. one reason we know a lot of what we know is that during that two year window that the archives yep. were open, a um, former archivist in the KGB named Alexander Vasiliev yes. was given permission and sponsored by Crown Publishing to <laughs> basically bastards. go into the archives and dig out everything that pertained to the American effort by the KGB. And by the way, one of the things that came out of this, and this is where Bentley is, can be mentioned for the last time, is the KGB documents verified everything that she said. Yeah, uh, yeah okay. So, so uh, I get, Jim, I'm glad you're here. Crown Publishing has enough oomph to pull something like that off? Crown Publishing? Back, back well, then. Crown Publishing was, was before they became part of, you know, Random House. This um, is inside. They were a, a, a sizable publisher. Really? Yeah. You know? And hmm. I, you know, they didn't do everything, um, especially back then. Yes. But um, but they certainly, you know, had uh, enough resources to to be able to afford to do something like that. I probably have very a lot of uh, rejection letters from them. Thank you. <laughs> well, two notable books came out of this cooperation between Crown and Vasiliev and one of their editors, and then the KGB agents. Uh, once again, got into the FSB mm -hmm. and took over because yeah, of yeah. all their experience, savvy, and know-how, yep. and they shut the archives. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Uh, those two years must have just been killing those people. Listen, we're coming up to a, uh, a break here. Hey, listen, Raven, why don't we leave them laughing? You have one of those KGB jokes? 
I do. Okay. I have them right here. Uh, here you ready, guys? KGB <laughs> jokes. Go. Um, the head of the KGB is giving a speech, and someone in the audience sneezes. The KGB chief looks up from his notes and says, who sneezed? No one says anything. So the KGB chief has everyone in the first row taken out and shot. Who sneezed? He asks the audience again. Again, no one says anything. So he has the entire second row taken out and shot. Finally, a man in the third row yells out, comrade, I was the one who sneezed. The KGB chief looks at the man and says, bless you. <laughs> okay. The KGB issue. Okay. Right. One more, one more, Raven. Right. one more, one more. One more? Okay. Uh, let me get the short one. The short one. Scroll down. <clears throat> uh, during the Cold War, the CIA, FBI, and KGB decided to have a contest to prove who had the best secret service. The contest was who could go into a forest and find a rabbit the quickest. The CIA goes in first. After 24 hours, they return and announce that they listened to every conversation in the forest, checked for strange lights in the sky overthrew the king stag of the deer herd and that they can conclude that no rabbit has ever lived in this forest and that it was all just a rumor. The FBI goes in next after pestering local law enforcement for 12 hours, they return with a dead rabbit. They announced that the rabbit had a weapon when they found him and threatened their agents who had no other choice but to shoot him. The KGB go in last. After just one hour, they come back with a bear. He's in chains, has been drugged, and severely beaten. They point him to the camera, and the bear goes, I'm a rabbit, and all my family were rabbits. <laughs> okay, so KGB, wow. There we go. Uh, hey, listen, on that, leave him laughing. Why don't we take a uh, commercial break now? And we'll be right back. You're listening to Mac Maloney's Military Access Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. Do you know where the world's most secret bases are located? Do you know what spooky action at a distance means? Is there a conspiracy by aliens to prevent us from conquering space? And where is the best place in the United States to see a real UFO? Find the answers to all these questions and more in Mac Maloney's new book, Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe. Visit places you never knew existed, the Phantom Tunnels of Tokyo, the UFO Trail in South America, Hong's Hat, and the very mysterious M Triangle. Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe contains hundreds of reports on ghosts, haunted planes and ships, weird celebrity deaths, mysterious sounds, and a breakdown of every monster in America, state by state. You've heard him talk about it on the radio. Now, get all of Mac's paranormal research in one large volume. Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe, with a forward by the very famous Juan Juan. On sale now in your local bookstore or on Amazon.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Mac Maloney's Military Action Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. Well, what show we have you tonight? Good thing the KGB isn't still around because they'd be after us tonight because we've been making fun of them all night. The KGB is like the Soviet Union's version of the CIA, and you always hear about them. And basically, their um, their reputation wasn't as um, 
wasn't as uh, broad as they would want you to have believed. I mean, their whole their biggest weapon was, you know, basically making people afraid of them. And all you have to do, you don't have to go to a lot of extremes to do that. Just put the fear in people, and they kind of shut up anyway. Speedboat shutting up here. With us from across the puddle, Juan Juan is here. Warning. Hello, Max. Everything. What's happening? What's happening with yeah, you? That KGB segment was really fascinating. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking about that series, uh, The Americans. Yes. On Netflix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they re recruited. Uh, well, they didn't recruit. They they just sent people that were allowed, like mm. just like us, mm -hmm. and they were a KGB. And I was always wondering, you know, what was it in it for them? What is in it? I mean, let me introduce everyone else. That was always the big question for me: is like when you look into these spies, KGB are people who are of CIA and then you know were rolled over to the KGB. They don't do it for a lot of money. You know, they 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 do it for stranger reasons anyway. Uh, Coco. By the way, one of the things, one of the things, Mac, that I forgot to say is yes. that the voice of Philip. While all of the spies in the early years were ideological and were easy to recruit, yep. by the time you get to the seventies, eight and eighties, and even the nineties, the only spies who want to work for the Soviet Union want money. Mm, interesting. They have yeah. Financial problems. They want to be paid. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. But yeah. but the the people that like um, the Aldridge Ameses of the world, people who are on right. our side, who went over to the Kremlin. As spies for a long time, they didn't get tons and tons of money. You know, none of these spies get you know offer you tons and tons of money. I think they just rely on the fact that you're doing it for a reason. You either need the money, but very rarely do these people say, "Well, because I believe in what the Soviet Union stood for." From our side, right? Yeah. Okay. Or maybe so, maybe you maybe you're working for the CIA or the FBI and you hate your boss and you want revenge. Yes. Let me introduce everyone. The factor of you know. If you read Le Carre, who, yes. who was a student, um, he talks about people going over to the other side because they feel that they haven't either they have a personal grudge against somebody, mm -hmm. somebody else on, on their side, yeah. or because they just feel that they're not appreciated. Yep. Yep. You know. Yep. Um, sometimes as little as that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah funny. Because I guess after a while, the whole spy business, the whole spy dazzle, goes away, and it's just a job. And you can yep. see why you'd be pissed off. So anyway, hey, listen, also with us is uh, Commander Cobra, Coco, up there in Maine. On the wing, sir, on the wing. Is it snowing yet? No, but well, we got about uh, we got about six inches of rain the other evening. Really? And, uh, Boy, welcome. Lucky. Very welcome. Wow, I'll like guess. that water come down. You are lucky. Yeah, I've been in a real bad drought up here in this part of New England. Uh, also with us is uh, Raven, uh, Raven Goodwitch Raven. Hi, my friends. Thanks for having me. Everything good with you? All good here. Yeah, huh? Yeah, earlier you had like two lights coming up from the top of your head. You look like, I don't know. Did you notice that one? Oh, probably from my the blinds behind me because okay. they have those slits on them. But now the sun has gone down, so I'm just front lit. Wow, front lit. Okay. I'm trying to figure out the lighting. Whoever your lighting you person is. from the front, that's for sure. Yeah, they're Blind slits and front lit. They're doing a good Poetry. <laughs> Poetry. You should be snapping fingers. You just should be snapping fingers. Have a oh. whole thing going on. Wow. Uh, okay, guys. Uh, also with us is my literary agent, Jim Franklin. I have to say, down here in Chapel Hill, yes. we're having a very normal August. Really? Means, is that possible? It's rained almost every day, okay. but oh, not God. Wow, huh? And, and not torrential rains. How to rub it's it in? Kind of rains, which is yes. weird considering all the the, the parching and flooding uh, you know you hear about. Uh, you guys got the rainy season. That's oh. the, you're in the rainy season there. You're down yep. south. All right, so, so anyway. Not crazy, not crazy like in Dallas, no. yes. nine inches in one day. Oh, wow, huh? 
That's a lot of rain. Uh, also with us is our uh, good friend Phil O'Beans, who um, is um, the chief advisor, vice advisor to um, winning moves, make all the uh, games that uh, we remember. Um, Risk, always my favorite, different kinds of monopoly, but everything, shoots and ladders, sorry, Ouija boards, things like that. He's also you, the world's greatest living uh, expert on Monopoly. Monopoly, right. And I've never played Monopoly that I can remember. Really? Wow. Yeah. yeah. I actually got contacted by a lady in Finland today Yes. who brought to my attention a uh, Monopoly fact that had never dawned on me before. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, it's, fact it's, is. it's not worth repeating, but I'm just saying. Oh, that, why know, not? Something oh, don't tease us that way. Tell us. Tell us the fact. The secret Monopoly fact. We need to know. Go ahead. You need to know? Yep. Well, you know how in the original Monopoly game, uh, Rich Uncle Pennybags, the character on the Chance and Community chess cards, yep. has three nephews, Andy, Randy, and Sandy, their names are. Yep. Yes. Punks. Punks. Well, this woman figured out who their mother must be. Oh, mm. come on. Yeah, what? so you can see how remote this <laughs> What's is. What's her name, Whammy? Their mother. That's so crazy. Yeah, well, see, there was a spinoff game called Rich Uncle, which was Rich Uncle Pennybags back in the late 40s. And one of the game, instead of having a deck of randomizing cards, had little like little newspaper headlines that were on sheets of paper. Okay. And occasionally, Rich Uncle's sister would be mentioned. Well, if these were his nephews, they have to be her children, right? Sounds, yes. sounds yeah. good to me. Okay. Yeah. It never dawned on me before. Do we get a name or do I have to start an internet search? <laughs> what, the name of the sister? Yes. yes. Euphemia. Oh. Thank you. Yeah. Operation Euphemia. All right. Operation it's right Euphemia. after. So we have Celicia. Right after Operation Celica. Yeah. Right. Wow, Maybe that's cool, man. In Isn't Finland and that those, And for those that don't understand Operation Salika, please uh, send an email to Mac and I'll explain <laughs> it offline. Right. Isn't Finland yeah, where it's... Uh, let me live that down. <laughs> isn't it dark like 10 months a year up there? So they got stuff to do. <laughs> that's all. Hey, listen, not to bring up, uh, you know, current topics, but I mean, did you see the Prime Minister of Finland at her private party? Hey. Please. Yeah, she threw, she threw down on that. And the Rays. Yeah. That everyone? is hot. <laughs> Cobra <laughs> speaks for 30 million guys. She is, She. I don't know, maybe we need more of that, man. I think so. But she. I, I think so, too. I more see her. I got to look her up now. Oh, don't worry. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, you're, and you want to be our European correspondent. You bet. And here you are in Europe, and you're not on top of this. I just well, uh, got on. bogged down on, on uh, uh, reviewing every fish and chips place in the area. Listen. <laughs> I had to alert you to the Loch Ness Llama. Okay. You didn't know anything about that. I had to get you onto that. 60 and minutes just, in. And he gave me this really wide little answer. Oh, thank you, Cobra. You saved me from I, I am trying to train, do my research. Which is apparently is on strike what? that day when you were supposed to go to Loch Ness to check the Loch Ness Llama okay. out. Right. And yes, now you're telling me you're not tracking the thing. Hey, listen. The newspapers oh, here you in go. Britain Prime Minister have, of Finland. They're on the strike. newspapers in Britain have her wonderfully featured okay. on the cover. They're Raven, do you know what we're talking about, Raven? Really? Raven, do you know what we're oh. talking about? No, I, I have not Ireland. seen it. The Prime Minister of Finland. Okay, I'm going to look is, it up right now. She's probably like in her early 30s, and yeah, she's wow. at a party. All the, all the trashy British papers, you know, they really okay. feature, you know. Goodbye, British. The Daily Mail. Yes, stuff. there's a lot of yeah. uh, I just need to see uh, Raven's reaction. Okay. But oh, my she, God. I mean, 
It's tacky. Come on. What? This makes me feel real bad. Why? She's like gorgeous. Why would it make you feel bad? <laughs> she's, wait, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. She's what? Enormous? She's gorgeous. Oh, gorgeous. Yeah, she is attractive. Raven, yeah. you could be her body double if she no. needed to take a vacation. Oh, so no way. <laughs> her hair is way nicer than mine. <laughs> oh, wow. Hmm. Look at her wearing this cute little sailor cap. Well, <laughs> wait a minute. I never saw the That's sailor horrible. cap on. Okay, let's, let's move on. Anyway. Definitely, let's move on. So, um, uh, Coco, you have a uh, kind of funny story. We have a couple more KGB jokes. And yeah, let me, let me just throw a real-life story in. Okay. I, I was blessed with a friendship with John Janice Stroke. In oh. fact, if anybody, S-T-R-A-U-C-H, if you go on Amazon, you can find three of his books. They're only Kindle available. They're not very long. They kind of mirror his life coming into the CIA. He was an Army officer before he went to CIA. Good friend. Well, come to find out, he had been the technical advisor on uh, the, the CIA movie Sneakers with Robert Redford. Oh, yeah. And he and he spoke about how he did a lot of work in the background. He made sure that their spy craft was accurate to a point. He didn't want it to turn into a how-to movie. So when you see stuff happening in the movie, he didn't want people to actually go out and do the stuff and then be able to successfully pull it off. So he had like a fatal flaw and everything that he did. So we were we were speaking one night, and I said, John, what can you share about some of the operations you've been involved in? And obviously, you know, some of the very sensitive stuff. He had a he had a, a storied career all through Asia and then into Europe. But he talks about they had to get into a safe that was in a business for a front company that they knew that the KGB and the other local uh, spy agents were in, and they had a very specific. And as the CIA would do, and as obviously the KGB did as well, they would bring in outside talent, mainly criminals that were safe crackers or people that you know knew about counterfeiting and things like that of that nature to pull off this op. And he stresses that they had to be in and out before sunrise. They had about a 90-minute window, and they had to get into the building, get into the safe, get out. They have the special uh, expert, the subject matter expert, the safe cracker that they're bringing into this. They get there, and the guy that's supposed to know all about this front door lock, and I believe it was a German-built uh, lock, so you know you're already in trouble when you're going up against the German anything. The guy that's the expert for picking the lock can't get the lock open. Remember, it's 90 minutes to get into this place. They're on a fairly public street uh, in, a, in a small – you never would tell me where it happened. And uh, there they are two hours later. Now people are walking by and they're trying to shoot people away from the store while they're trying to get in to get into this place to go do with this. Three hours later, they successfully enter the, the establishment. They get into the safe. They get what they need to get, photograph it, whatever they had to do for the, you know, the retrieval. They're coming out and they're meeting like the guy who's delivering the milk, the baker who's dropping off the bread. There's people you know, talking to them. They're trying to be cordial about the trying. And this is all supposed to be super... You know, slick. And if you're looking at my picture that I have up for the screen tonight, Spy versus Spy, he had me in tears uh, telling the story because they were convinced they had this thing completely wired, except for the part that human factors always come down to causes. And the same thing happened with the KGB. They have had so many things go wrong for flat tires. They drove crappy cars. They would always argue about getting things like they wanted the Mercedes. They wanted other stuff. They would end up with some crappy car to go do it. It's always when you go cheap. It's always when you try to go super slick that you get yourself into it. And John was just an absolute uh, prince to, to explain that this is one of those nights that it just, luckily no one was hurt. It all went out well. They got through it. But by God, they 
nothing went on the timetable. Nothing went according to. So nothing. He's but, a great guy. A great book. If you ever get a chance to read it. But you know, in these cases, I mean, let's face it. You know, they've been spies and have been glamorized like cowboys were glamorized. You know. And yeah. I mean, you you have to if you really go and have to do one of these things. Just the fact is that it would seem to me the fact is that uh, await you that you have no idea about. You know, you have to kind of adapt. You have to MacGyver stuff and everything, and you have to kind of um, I don't know. Once I wa- I saw this kind of uh, you know PBS story about the CIA, and they showed people that the CIA hired, and they're the most kind of unglamorous um, last person you'd expect to look this way. No James Bonds, no, uh, you know. I mean, that's just the way they do it, you know. And if you go over to where no. X works, Mac- X works like what a lot of X people work for. I mean, I hate to say it, but you can tell it, you know. There's no glamorous people there, X included. Mac, you uh, you remember the story? I think Phil. I'm I'm trying to pull it out of my memory banks, and I apologize. Maybe a little too much port wine tonight. The uh, the master at the CIA who uh, would do disguises. Yeah. His very famous thing where he could walk down a street and transform his appearance mm. from being a man to a woman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in clothing with a like a with a limp. Yeah. The whole, I mean, and he could do seconds. this. Forty five <laughs> seconds. Excellent. Not even a city's block worth of distance. This guy transforms himself. Yeah. And blends into the crowd. I mean, he, just amazing stuff that that goes on. These are not glamorous people. It's, and it, I always tell this to people: say, "Oh yeah, I want to, I want to do what you did, Cobra, in the military. Mm. I want to, I want to do all of." There is maybe ten minutes of real super <laughs> cool stuff, fun, yeah. and it's the rest of it's fifty minutes. Yeah. It's just toil and boil to get to it. But that ten minutes is so good, you're hooked. That's you're us. absolutely into it. That's and us. I think the same thing happens with the spy stuff. Okay. I think folks just they 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 live, and I think this goes from the ideology to the you know, and before you get to the money part. Okay, the people that really live for it, you live to do the mission. You live to pull it off. But that's why I have Spy versus Spy as my back screen tonight. That was the playbook for most of mm. the seventies and eighties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was the was the game. You you it was it was tagged for adults because yeah. you were trying to always figure out how to one up the other side. Uh, listen, and before, that was the part that was great about. Before we get to uh, more KGB jokes, we should have um, we'll have uh, X on soon. Now X for a couple of years was in Berlin. This is after uh, the Berlin Wall came down. No, this I'm sorry. This is in the eighties. And, and he was in a counterintelligence group. Uh, you know, he's told me this, so I can tell you. And basically what they did was, you know, if you are, let's say, the Cuban embassy, and you have 40 guys there who are, you know, quote-unquote technicians and so on, but everyone knows what they do. You know, uh, like 10 of those guys can leave in uniform every day, but no more than 10. And then the rest of the people go out and they do whatever they have to do. X's group followed those people. They gave him a fake family, you know, fake wife, kids, and stuff, and they would just follow them around. And so, um, once they formed them into a department store, he told the story on the air once, and and the Russian woman sneezed, and X in English goes, you know, God bless you. <laughs> <laughs> that was that. Okay, he's supposed to be a German family. I should have said that. So anyway, uh, Raymond, uh, blown his cover right that moment. There you go. You must have at least two more KGB jokes. I do. How, how, how about that short one? See if anyone gets the short one first, as uh, she said. Short one, which is number three, I'm guessing. I guess. Oh, crap. Where did my thing go? Where did it go? CIA joke. There we go. They wiped Oh, it. there it is. There we go. Got it's it. Got it back. Uh, the three most well-known spy agencies are the CIA, KGB, and M15. MI5. The rest are good. 
Think about it. Okay. The most well-known intelligence agencies are the FBI, the CIA, MI5. We throw KGB in there. The rest MI5. of them are good. MI5. No, MI5. You know what I mean? You know, you don't know what the rest of them are. They're good at doing what they do. Okay. I did put think about it in there, did I? Right, yeah, I said it. Okay, okay right? good. Yes. Right. I just said M- M15 instead of M15. M15 because I'm a, okay. That's going to generate fan mail right there. Don't M15. worry. We lost everyone right in England right. about an hour ago. So is there right. one more KGB uh, funny? I do have two more if we need them. Uh, let's just go with one and we'll see what All happens. Right. A mummy was found in Egypt, and to determine its age, the three best forensic teams of the world, CIA and the Mo- the, sorry, CIA, the Mossad, and the KGB decided to have a contest. The CIA went first. Uh, they studied the mummy for a full year and then came up with a result. The person lived around 1,000 years BC, plus or minus 200 years. Uh, the Mossad went next. They studied the mummy for a month. They conclude it was a pharaoh who ruled 1,000 years BC, give or take 100 years. Uh, the KGB team goes next. They hold the mummy for a week and then come up with this. It was a Pharaoh Raman Hoptep. Uh, it was Pharaoh Raman Hoptep the second, born 1022 BC, became king after murdering his uncle. He married his sister, ruled for five years. On the third year of his reign, the Nile flooded. His, the Nile flooded his kingdom, and on the fourth year, the enemy hordes attacked. Everyone is perplexed. How did you find all this out? They ask. The KGB team replied, he confessed. <laughs> uh, okay, right. It's kind of in the uh, same flavor as the other joke. Okay. So why don't we do that? I just that? have to, I have to make the note back. Go, go. That Operation Salika, yes. uh, notwithstanding, go ahead. Raven gets out Mossad, and she says it in almost near I know. I noticed uh, that. I noticed that. Hey, he listen. says M15. He yeah. calls Operation Salika, you know, which we're going to have to probably exit out of the show. Mm-hmm. She gets Mossad. Hey, listen. Almost pitch perfect. Well, I, I, I'm in tears of All right. I got another connection to that. Okay. It goes back yeah. to her father, Lonely Mary. Oh, well. He has this I mean, very. I'm mis- New York trash. So his, no, I, I get a couple of That could of be your right? cover. That's your cover. Uh, <laughs> yeah. LL has this, this, this kind of odd guy who, you know, he's told me about. And, and this guy has. Indicated to LL that he has links to the Mossad. Mossad is Israel's CIA. Let's make it simple. And um, so I don't know. Maybe that's how she, Coco, that's how she learned how to say the correct pronunciation of Mossad. Wow. Okay. I guess I know he's saying yes. I have my eyes off the screen for a second. So anyway, why don't we take a break now and add up the time? And we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Mac Maloney's Military Access Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. We'll be right back after this. So until you hear us next time, this is Mac Maloney for the entire gang saying, be safe, be happy, and bye-bye. Okay, the show's over. Hey, Cobra, where are we going to eat tonight? Well, gentlemen, what do you feel like? Chinese, Italian, sushi? How about we go where they have the best hamburger in the world? And where would that be, one one? Only the Starboard Galley. Starboard Galley? They're a great seafood place, but they're in Newburyport, and we're in Exeter. But they're only 20 minutes away down Route 95, and believe me, they have the best hamburger in the world. Let's go. Okay, boys, license and registration. Mr. Fire, you clowns going to the circus? We're in a hurry just to get the best hamburger in the world. And where's that, Pally? That's the Starboard Galley in Newburyport. 
A great seafood place? Yes, but they make a great hamburger, too. And they start with the best beef. Super fresh buns. Great toppings. Plus, it's only 20 minutes away from Exeter. 25 from Portsmouth. Not with a police escort, buddy. Light them up, Switchblade. Starboard Galley. They're here. That's the Starboard Galley, 55 Water Street, Newburyport. Great seafood and the best hamburger in the world. And tell them Lawn sent you. Everyone's Mac Maloney's Miltrax, our show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. Well, with the show we have for you tonight, let me introduce the members of the posse, extended posse, as it turns out tonight. The girls are the ring. Very famous. Sorry, Juanie. Do you want me to start again? Should I start again no. one for you? The very famous Juan Wanasia, girls. Hey, girls. Hey, Mac. Hey, everybody. And all ships at sea, welcome back to the show. He's it's over been, in England. What it's time been is really it? really an interesting. Yes. And like a club would say if he was here, a learning experience. Right. I feel like an egghead in a way, just for a couple of minutes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I was taking yeah. notes. Hmm. We really? Yeah. Huh? I yeah, tried, I there but might I, be an exam afterwards. I couldn't find a pen in him this place. KGB anyway. notes. Moving on. Your accent has really changed, you know. He said that, say, listen, the overrun there is the first week in December. Okay. I got the under. That he's going to affect an English accent by the beginning of the summer. <laughs> Six months. Anyway, uh, also that I'm moving back to the states. There you go. Oh, then you better lose it, there, pal. Really quickly, okay. I met a lot of good people here so far, though. That Man, thank you. I said that. Reach out sure. and help, and okay, uh-huh. let me get acquainted. Okay, yeah. yeah. You'll come around to hating them. You just wait, okay. <laughs> no, no. Also, yeah. Commander Cobra is with us. Coco, how you doing? As always, sir. Privileged to be on the link. Thank mm-hmm. you. Okay. Um. Our uh, good friend up there in Sideways, New York, Raven, is with us. Raven. Hi. Mm-hmm. Hi, hi, hi. Thanks no for having light, me. No hi, lighting. Raven. The lighting hi, is, yeah. is very film noir. You're right. Look at this. She it's is. black it's, and white. Wow. Black and white. Hmm. It's kind of a good look. Actually, keep that look. It's good. The, the lighting, whatever lighting tube that is. Is that one of those tubes? It's a circle. It's like around. a little like mini ring light. And yeah. it's just like a clip-on. So I have like a shelf above my laptop. Actually, hmm. Oh, yeah. You can see it. That's yeah, yeah. the base of it right there. Yeah. Huh. Right here. Looks good. Yeah, yeah interesting. Uh, also with us, uh, his background, not quite as film noir as my uh, literary agent, Jim Franco. Jim, how you doing? I'm good, and, and I wouldn't say not quite film noir, because I've done a lot of that. Really? Yeah, okay. That's yeah, I've worked with a lot of noir stuff. Mm-hmm. Where are you? In your kitchen? Looks like you're in your kitchen. Uh, in the living room. Living room, right? yeah. Okay, good. Living the good life. One of these days, you're going to see a totally different background. Really? We're getting close to having it all squared away here. Oh, good. All right. Good for you. You mean you mean like a, 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 a renovation inside your house, that type of thing? Oh, no, it's just a rearrangement of furniture. Oh, I get it. Like yeah. That. Sounds like fun, though. I love that kind of stuff. I love moving people. Yeah. I love you. Yeah. Uh, you know, you'll see me in my office. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With the door locked. That's me. Yeah, I'm busy all of a sudden. Anyway, also with us is uh, Phil O'Bain's a good friend from um, Winning Moves. The company that makes a lot of your uh, favorite board games, old ones and new ones, and uh, winning moves, and also the Ouija board, which uh, 
I think it's time to do like another segment on that, Phil, you know, because there's a lot of stories surrounding the Ouija board, correct? We have to get some from Raven, too, to supplement what I could add. Raven has a great Ouija board story. Yeah. And don't you know the like the number one uh, the number one Ouija guy that lives in Rhode Island or something? Oh, oh no, no. He's out in Denver right now. Okay. And what is he? what's his connection to the Ouija board? He has studied uh, the history of the Ouija board through its various manufacturers and the various people who originated it and dispelled, by the way, all of the the myths that somehow it came from Egypt or ancient Rome. Yes. And um, yeah, Bob knows everything. Okay. Bob, we could get on the show. He, yeah. would, he would be good to get into. Uh, How does yeah, he feel? What does he feel about it? Does he feel it's a portal to another world? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. <laughs> well, people do. Well, I know. I just want to know. They, they, they usually think it's a bad portal. To what's the, the guy? What's what's his world. What's his opinion? Yeah, I, I, his name is Bob, and his last name is. Uh, it will come back to me. I've been okay. spoken to him in a few years. Okay. But Bob, Bob is a. Um, he's very philosophical about it. I think his attitude is it's what you want it to be. Oh right? man, that's the sure. best thing to say about anything, really, when I it turns it. out. But <laughs> you know. But anyway, hey, Raven, if you remember a while ago, we were going to have you. And I think your cousin, we're going to go to a neutral location and have you play uh, the Ouija board again after your horrible experience as a, as a teen, right? You, not my cousin, my sister. Sister, right. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. And what happened? She. I mean, that's still on the table. On the table? Just, okay. Let's go. I don't make plans. I just join plans that are already made for me. So wow. That's, that's my hangout. That's, that's I like that. Yeah. I like that philosophy. That's the wrong with that. Right. <laughs> well, hey, yes, she is married. As it turns out, making uh, plans is overrated sometimes. Is like, it really? Yeah. Over here in this country, we haven't really made a whole lot of plans. We're like, here in this country, and I'm going to learn how to drive and like D Day side of the road. D Day so. overplanned. You think too much planning went into D Day? <laughs> is that what you mean? True. Way too much. Uh, <laughs> I probably did a little bit more planning than D Day. Okay. So anyway, wow. So you know, we're going to do the segment. Uh, this is a very popular segment, as it turns out. Cursed films. There are so many movies out there, a lot of movies, ones that you wouldn't expect. Well, not, you know, cursed is a really good word for them because after they stop production or during production afterwards, strange things happen to the people, to the producers, the actors, the film itself. So, Raven, you have like two for us tonight? Yeah, I got two more to finish uh, this out. This was really fun to do. Okay. Um, so, I'm going to start out with uh, The Omen from 1976. Mm, Lee uh, That was. Uh, that was directed by Richard Donner. Uh, the Omen starred Gregory Peck, uh, Lee Remick, and Harvey Stevens. Mm. Uh, this movie caused nightmares among viewers, uh, but the cast and crew were the ones that were really put to the test during filming, as this curse, uh, cursed film knew no bounds, literally. Um, so when U.S. ambassador uh, to Great Britain, Robert Thorne, played by Peck, uh, and his wife, Catherine, played Great by Remick, lose their newborn child, Robert makes a decision to quickly replace the baby without his wife's knowledge uh, with a newborn who lost his mother during birth. Mm. So when the family relocates to London, unexplainable things plague them, making Robert wonder if his quote-unquote son could be the Antichrist. Wow, could be the Antichrist. Yeah, well, what an elevated pitch that is. Uh, so shortly after filming began, a plane that actor Gregory Peck was supposed to be on crashed. Mm. He didn't end up meeting the flight uh, at the last minute. And sadly, all members on the board on board the craft were killed. What's even wow. more heartbreaking and creepy is that the plane struck a vehicle on impact, killing everyone inside, 
And that car contained members of the pilot's family. Whoa, whoa, um, whoa. Really, like, what, what are the, the chances? Um, so in another insane twist of fate, when Peck was on another flight going to England for filming, uh, the plane was uh, the plane he was on was struck by lightning. Mm. No one was hurt uh, during this freak accident. Um, but just two days after this incident, David Seltzer, uh, the film's writer, was on a plane, totally different plane, uh, to join the cast mm-hmm. uh, in England. And his plane was also struck by lightning. <laughs> again, no one was hurt. Yes. But again, like, what are the odds of that within it's, a couple of days? It's, it's astronomical. So, super chilling. Yeah, really. It's a it's a crazy. It's a it's a scary movie. I can remember we were talking about this the other night. Lee Remick, yeah. you know, was a big actress. Every peck, obviously. So they threw some money at it. Uh, Richard Donner, he directed a lot of the Superman films, early Superman films. It's a creepy movie. It's a kid. The kid is the enemy. The kid is the devil, man. It's all built in. Creeps. It's so creepy. Yep. The other part. Gregory is, Peck. Yum. Oh, really, it was huh? also a fantastic just, transition from the book to the movie. They really? did a tremendous job of bringing intact key parts of that book. That usually that doesn't book happen. It's horrifying. That book is absolutely fine. Horror. All right. I mean, I got two questions to ask. Uh, I to ask uh, Jim and Phil. Okay, we talked last week, or the last time we were on, about the uh, Exorcist. And I remember people were throwing up while watching the Exorcist. You remember that, guys? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. What are the chances? And you know, they've been accused of before was that they put in this subliminal. All you have to do is put in like three or four frames in yeah. a movie. Uh, you know, it showed like a butcher. As people said they were putting in like you know scenes in a butchery and, and you know in a meatpacking plant, a lot of blood, a lot of a lot of guts, and people were just seeing it very quick, and they were throwing up to that. So, so I know that's not allowed, but you know, wouldn't they be able to figure that out now? Wouldn't someone be able to like you know really like analyze the film and see if they're, if they're still in there, if they're still making people throw up? Well, that film came out at the height of the popularity of subliminal advertising. So why not? So they tried it out. Why not? A lot of rock bands, you know, supposedly putting stuff on backwards and stuff like that. Matt, wow. Cool. Did Landis do that? Was he the director of that movie? Landis? No, no, it was uh, Freakin. No. William Freakin. Yeah, Freakin. Yeah. I remember that after that movie completed, the set burned down. Did it really? It was, yeah, it was, yeah, a, it was yeah. a big deal that the set completely burned to the ground. Well, you know, everything about it was just went up in smoke. Yeah, but the thing that is. That movie, Mrs. Cobra, to this day, Freaks that movie and the the uh, one about the, uh, the the witch Blair Witch. Mm-hmm. She does she does not enjoy that movie at all on well, an evening up here in Maine. Let's go down to well. Let's go back to the Omen set burning down. I mean, you know, you need a little more publicity. You get the uh, youngest guy in the crew, you know, to leave his cigarette lighter going. You know, all of a sudden the thing burns down. You get a myth out there. You know what I'm saying? Good PR. No such thing. No one's buying it. Okay. Things like that don't happen I mean, in Hollywood. Do they, Matt? Come on. That's what I mean. I mean, you're getting people thrown up. You can go to some active studio and bring in like you know five or six people to three or four different showings, have them throw up, okay, and say that they're doing it because of the film. It's the best publicity you could ever get, ever, for a film like that. Okay, you don't you want remember, the... Go ahead. Matt, you, you, obviously, because you were here in Massachusetts around that time, do you remember the, uh, the, just the absolute carnival that went around uh, uh, many Catholics out boycotting the movie, uh, reading Bible passages out in front. I remember when I went to see that movie. What movie? It was a, uh, The Exorcist. It, oh, The Exorcist. Sure, yeah. Theater mm-hmm. in Walden. Uh, J. The J. Granada. J.J.'s old haunt. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. There were people out there 
at their Bibles telling us we were going to hell because we were going in to see the exorcist. I don't want to be cynical, but once again, you can go to a little local yeah. actor's studio and you can get 10 people to stand out in front of, you know, wherever and quote the Bible. It's a great publicity stunt. I, I don't stunt. think that was a stunt. I think no, I'm not saying it was, but it, it could be. You could. Of course you could. I mean, if you're William Castle, you do that. But mm. William Castle didn't make the exercise. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So anyway, William we're... Castle, you know who William Castle was. Yeah, right? he made all those uh, horror movies, great horror movies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, not great horror, cheesy horror movies. Well, that's that's the great part about them. <laughs> yes. Exactly. One yeah. sort or another. I the cheesier, the better, man. That reminds me of my, you're just growing up watching stuff on Saturday afternoon, crazy movies, you know. That's how I kind of fell in love with it. Anyway. All right, so we make a movie uh, that we had to wear glasses to really. Yeah, Thirteen Ghosts was one of them. Ghosts, Thirteen yeah. Ghosts, the original, uh, one. The, uh, uh, the Wax Museum. Uh, yeah, that was that was great. Um, there was also a, a movie called House on Haunted Hill. I think was the oh, Thirteen oh, movie. So tremendous, good. tremendous. Vincent Price, crazy oh movie. my god, yeah. tremendous. Yeah, crazy movie for sure. Now, Mac, I have to say, since you talked about Saturday afternoons, go ahead. Who can forget creature feature? Uh, always, yeah, yeah. With, on fifty six, fifty six, yeah, yeah fifty six. With the with the feet. Bully still comes on Saturday night on MeTV. Oh yeah, who does? Say that again, please, Phil. Ben Gooley. Who is oh, he? Sven Gooley. Sven Gooley. I'm curious how Raven would pronounce his name. Sven Gooley. Sven Gooley. Yeah, I wonder that's, we should put that prayer. Wow. I'll put it in writing, and I'll try to read it. Okay. So, Whatever happened to that host uh, hostess of the the. Uh, you're talking about Elvira. Elvira, no, yes. Oh, That's a whole other show. Right. She is. Something, yeah. Absolutely. Wow. I, I, she has a girlfriend. All right, okay. That's what I mean. It's a whole Elvira, other show. And she is, uh, she's doing it uh, pretty sharp these days. <laughs> wow, well, okay. I'm a big fan I have of her, her autobiography. Do you really? Oh, she's tremendous. Wow. Absolutely tremendous. Her. No, hold she's on. Okay. Absolute, yeah. I would go anywhere to see her if she was just going to read a book and talk. She is just her absolute... Raven, he, Mistress of the Dark. He read her biography too, but Raven, you love her. You think is she, you hold her up as a model type thing? Oh yeah, I actually I have something on my Instagram story right now that mm. is her. Really? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. She's still kicking it at eighty two, eighty three or so. She's not eighty two. She looks fantastic. She just posted a video. Wawa <laughs> said in she a was baby 82. pool the other day, and she's in like you know. Uh, like a very low cut bathing suit. And I don't remember what she was talking about, but it was very funny. Hmm. And she was like, you know, beat the summer heat and she's you yeah, know, doing just, her yeah. Elvira stuff. It's uh, so funny. Something along those lines, I guess. Okay. Wow. So were you, uh, so the omen, any other uh, bad things happen to those people? Or is that enough? Oh yeah. <laughs> um, so these coincidences continued. Uh, Mace Newfield, the film's uh, executive producer, uh, Peck and several others were supposed to get dinner uh, after filming one night. Um, before the group made it to the restaurant, the building was destroyed by an explosion. Newfield experienced another close call of when a hotel he was staying in exploded just days after he checked out of it. Um, probably the most tragic tie to the film's curse happened when the special effects designer that created the uh, decapitation scene was involved in a head-on collision um, after the film was complete that actually decapitated his wife. Um, the oh. omen curse uh, even targeted animal trainer, uh, an animal trainer on set when they were mauled by a tiger that killed the trainer instantly. Um, so today, people still debate if this film is cursed or if these incidents were all coincidental. I personally have a hard time thinking, like believing that this is all coincidental because there's just so many um, yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to ignore yep. um, in such a short amount of time. So that's my take on it. And I have a fun fact. 
um, at around the 51 minute mark, yes. uh, when the fishbowl falls to the ground, uh, dead sardines painted orange were used in place of goldfish wow. because Donner refused to kill goldfish for the sake of a movie. Oh, really? Yeah, huh? So he did, but the sardines, they're the unlucky ones. The sardines, whatever. Yeah, who needs them? <laughs> Look, wow. if you don't have standards, don't even show up. Yeah, right, exactly. exactly. And then I got one more, and then we're done Let's on go. this whole series. Mm. You guys ready? Yep. We are ready. We have Twilight Zone, the movie from mm. 1983, mm -hmm. which was rated PG for some reason. Yeah, I never yeah, yeah. That. Um, yeah. But this was split up into a four-part uh, horror sci-fi anthology, and the film had four different directors who each brought their own creative outlook yep. uh, on a Rod Sterling classic. Bad idea. Uh, directors included Joe Dante. He did uh, It's a Good Life. John Landis, uh, who did Time Out, which was very loosely based on a, a quality of mercy. Uh -huh. uh, George Miller, who did Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. And mm. Steven Spielberg, who did Kick the Can. Four hacks. Um, so because, <laughs> because the film was split up into four different segments, the directors were able to cast stars like Dan Aykroyd, mm. Skatman Crothers, mm. Vic Morrow, and John Lithgow, just mm. to name a few. Vic Morrow um, from Archived voices of... Uh, archived voice recordings, I apologize, of Rod Zerling were also used hmm. to give the film the classic Twilight Zone vibe. Wow. Huh? Um, so the talk surrounding the Twilight Zone curse uh, is focused on Landis's segment, Time Out, in which a racist played by Vic Morrow is sent back to 1950s Alabama as a black man facing the KKK, mm -hmm. Nazi-occupied France as a Jewish man, and to Vietnam during the war as a Vietnamese man trying to flee the war. Um, so during a Vietnam battle sequence, uh, the unthinkable happens. Vic Morrow and two child actors, uh, Renee Shin Yi Chen and I believe it's pronounced Mika Din Lee, mm. were tragically killed. Um, Real-life Vietnam veteran and now film veteran Dorsey Wingo was flying the helicopter mm -mm. Uh, when he got hit with pyrotechnics that were used to simulate explosions, okay. which caused the chopper to go down, landing on top of the three actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Vic Morrow, we should just say, Vic Morrow was a, he was the star of a show in the 60s, a very popular show called Combat. It's kind of a drama yep. about World War II. Yep. But his, but his, um, yeah. he was married to um, his his daughter is um, a very famous actress as well. Um, I can't. She was in. Um, uh, what was the story about uh, the girl who moves in as a as a rental or as a place with the girl, and then she be, she takes on that girl's character. She was also in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Both oh them. my God! I know who you're talking about, and I can't think of her. I know exactly who you're yeah. talking about. Are you talking about the roommate? See, yeah. Single, is it single white female? Single white roommate? female. Oh, yeah. single white female. Who are the actresses in that that we know? Well, anyway, one of them is is his uh, is his daughter. You're and talking then, uh, Jennifer Jason Leigh. Gen Jennifer Jason Leigh Jennifer is yeah. Vic Morrow's yeah. daughter, and and and, and, and Janet right. Lee is his wife. Janet Lee is the beautiful blonde in Psycho and a lot of other movies. So, no, yeah, no, I don't think there's a connection there. To what? I don't think Janet Lee was involved. <laughs> well, no. Is, is, any, they ever say anything about Hitchcock movies being cursed? That'd be interesting if none of this stuff happened on his movies because he was such a creep. Yeah, I I didn't find anything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can definitely do another deep dive and you know, kind of find the, the other ones. So, so with that movie, with the Twilight Zone movie, now didn't someone go to jail or something? I know it was a long. Yes, uh, the director. Yeah, uh, there was a huge trial true. that went on. Because yeah, of yeah. I'm going to tell you. Oh, well, I'm going to stop. I'm going to tell you. Go, Raven. So, to make matters worse, 
the children were hired illegally mm. and they had no protection under labor laws because Ooh, they damn. technically were not supposed to be working when they were on set when this happened. Apparently there was too much paperwork that Landis figured wasn't going to be approved. So he figured he just wouldn't fill any of it out. Wow, what a guy. So uh, the case did go to court in Los Angeles uh, in 1985, Mm -hmm. where Landis and four other crew members were charged with involuntary manslaughter, and they were all acquitted. Yeah, huh? Really? Yeah. I mean, it's it's probably I mean, he went on to do Trading Places. Uh, He did Blues Brothers prior to this. He did. Uh, he did the Animal House. Animal House. Let me just say, can I? Can I just put in here because I did go to film school, Juan Juan, as you know. You did in, go to film school and you graduated. That's right. In that era, that's the important part. Thank in that era, it, it took a while, but I. He's did. a celluloid hero. Hang on. In that era, <laughs> there were there were these kind of young directors, and Landis was one of them. He did the Michael uh, Michael Jackson thriller video, made a big name for himself and stuff like that. He did Animal House and so on, but they were giving these guys all kinds of money. They were giving these guys all kinds of money. I mean, like tons and tons of money back then. And and some of the movies, I don't know, are okay, I guess. But you know, that Twilight Zone movie, I watched it, and it's just like, I don't know. I don't like. I don't like when they go back on scripts. You know, write something that's, yeah. you know, scary. Nah, or it's just a. Uh, and we got like a few minutes to go. It's just like you know, a lot of bad Eddie Murphy movies. Okay, Eddie Murphy made some good movies, but he made some crummy movies too. But they know if his name is there, and if you make the movie for twenty million, and it brings in forty million. Someone makes Matt, $20 million. Can I, have 60, can I have 60 seconds for a movie? 60 seconds. All right, here we go. Go. Over. All right. I want to get the impression, especially from Jim and Phil, of the following spy movies. Mm. Spy that came in from the cold. Uh, okay. We got 60 seconds, guys. It's really yeah. downbeat, but it's, it's well yeah. done. I, I think it's one of the most classic true spy conflicts that you can possibly have. Okay, go. Funeral, funeral in Berlin, I think, is Hugely overrated. We think yeah. funeral in Berlin. Uh, I'm not as good as the previous movie. All right, and the last one. Here we go. The uh, the Quiller Memorandum with George right. Siegel. Oh yeah, yeah. Overlooked, yeah, yeah. overlooked tremendously. But I tell you, for really? folks that I knew, because I was a youngin with the guys and gals that were running around the '60s and '70s in Berlin doing the deed, <laughs> they say that that movie really hits well, the note. I, I was going to say that. I think that it was probably. Um, the least glamorous, but yep. it was probably mm-hmm. the most realistic. Yeah. One of my favorite scenes in the film memorandum is when George Siegel knows he's gonna, the, 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 the Stasi level guys are outside the building. They're, they're the Hasselman in Berlin. Mm-hmm. He goes out to the car, goes out to the garage, and he finds the bomb in the car. He takes the bomb out. He puts it on the hood of the car. It's slowly vibrating on the hood of the car, mm. and he uses the explosion to get away, to, to get to nice. the next part. And you find out Alec Guinness is the, is the spy master who is absolutely pivotal guy to play spy masters in these movies. Tinker Taylor, Spy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All that stuff. He just brings it all together there. And he uses that scene to get out of it. And at the end of it, they're successful. They win the whole nine yards. It's it's M15 for some of us in the room, MI5 for the rest of the world. Um, The CIA, they're all in there. They're playing the game in Berlin. And it's just, just, uh, to me, one of the most overlooked spy flicks. And I think it's Really perfect. Three seconds. I would. I would watch that one again. Two seconds. So anyway, wow, huh? So so um, let me just throw out a name of a movie that we're going to have to do the plugs. Okay, Uh, the Bridge of Spies. I'll give a shout out to my friend Stephen S. That's a great movie. That's a great movie. And you know, there's there's no there's no special effects in that movie. If there is, I didn't know some. 
tight, well-made film. Well-made, very tight. And at first you say, but, well... And you the know, story is accurate. Yeah, Jim, the story you know, is all true. Yeah. That's yeah. the reason why that movie is that, because the story is accurate. Yeah, yeah. Right. Very good movie. The Bridge of Spies, very good movie. Okay, listen. If Switchy was here, he would have put up the graphic of the train crashing into the station. That means it's time <laughs> for us to say goodbye. Hey, you've got Elvira on my screen, and that's okay. good enough. And that's right. better than any train crash. You'll, be, yeah, you'll be the last... We say goodnight to Elvira rules, that's for sure. Let me do this first. Okay, first all right. of all. I have one thing to say about cursed movies. Go ahead. I'm surprised that nobody brought up uh, Brandon Lee. And, yeah, we uh, talked about him yeah, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. We did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, a tough one. Absolutely a tough yeah. one. There's a lot of the movies. Of, of the crow and, and, and yeah. his loss. There's a lot of movies that like people, the stars, of the, you know, like met their end yeah. too early. You know, it's just kind of strange. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, on a lighter note, we're in the middle, uh, actually the third and final week, of a book giveaway of Mac Maloney's new novel, The God Satellite. So what you have to do. We have a bunch of them from the post. We're going to give them away. Send us a email to macmaloney.com. Hit the contact button and uh, just say The God Satellite or put me in the um, magic fishbowl. And we'll be picking some names out, I think, in a couple weeks. So that's uh, we already got a lot of names. So go to macmaloney.com and uh, hit the contact button. And just put the God Satellite or put me in the fishbowl. And then in two or three weeks, I think, Raven is going to be uh, picking the winner's names out of the uh, Sid. Aforementioned Magic Fishbowl. Okay? Also, if you want a bag of swag, a free bag of swag, go to that same uh, email address, macmoney.com. Hit the contact button and send us your mailing address. Not your email address, your mailing address. And we'll send out a bag of swag. This month's bag of swag uh, is various buttons, stickers, Refrigerator magnets are going like crazy. Um, different things, okay? But the most popular raw, CC, what do you think it is? I'm glad you think the coaster might still be the in, the, uh, in the room. Everyone wants the freaking bar coaster. They're the most expensive thing. I'll tell you what, bag. when I bring those into bars, Mac, mm-hmm. people want to know about Mac Maloney's Culinary Expos, and they want their drink to be resting on it. They <laughs> Right, and then they take them home. Anyway, uh, so, uh, yeah, that's a bag of swag. Go to MacMaloney's.com. The contact button, send us your mailing address, and we'll get a bag of swag out to you. Too sweet. Also, Homes for Our Troops. Homes for Our Troops is an organization that builds homes for our veterans of post-9-11 um, uh, battles, warfare. That would be the um, Afghani war and also the Iraqi war. These are veterans who came home and possibly they're missing a limb. Um, homes for Our Troops builds them homes that are more adaptable to their situation. I mean, like low counter space, no stairs, things like that. And then when they build them the home, um, they tear up the mortgage. They give them the keys. It's free to them. They deserve it. And then they can go out and live as normal a life, if I can use that term, as possible. Okay. Uh, it turns out that 85% of the people who go into these homes, there's already like about 400 of these homes across the country. Average price, by the way, is $470,000. So, you know, these are nearly nice homes. These people go out and they get jobs and, you know, they can live a life. Let's put it that way. Okay. Once again, they deserve it. Homes for our troops, 88 cents of your charity dollar goes to uh, veterans, and that is very high in the charity biz. Homes for our troops, Google them, see what they're up to lately. Also, I'm glad Coco was with us. Ross Schaaf and his mad Englishman friends still are putting together a uh, war plane from World War II called the Mosquito, made of wood, two Rolls Royce engines on it, so fast. It could outrun the bullets. Outrun the bullets. That's how fast this thing was. Now, he's fast. You know, he's getting faster being in the UK. I think that might hit me having a positive effect. Coco, let me ask you this, and this is a, a, a 10 second answer, okay? When are they going to put the freaking plane in the year? All right. The World War II didn't last this long. No, it didn't. But uh, funding is is a tricky thing. Okay. I'm thinking right. we're looking at 3.8 years, Mac. Hmm. 
you seeing everything roll and down the runway and out in the air. But we did have a couple of really cool meetings in the last cool. uh, uh, couple of months. What pub? And the molds okay. are, uh, or the fuselage have been perfected. We're putting uh, wood to them. Wow. It, 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 it's nice to see the uh, substantial change. I came over 10 seconds. Sorry. Aircraft one. Okay. That's uh, the People's Mosquito Project. So that's it for the plugs now. It's time to say goodnight. Phil Orbanes, thank you for joining us. Always a pleasure educating us. Let's give him a round of applause, please. Thanks, everyone. That was, uh, it was you, Phil. to be here, Mac. Okay. Thank you, Phil. Jim Franco, my literary agent down there in uh, North Carolina. All right. Thank you, Jim. And so now I'm going to say goodbye to, well, he has the Elvira up there, but we have to say goodbye to Coco. Coco? Thanks for joining us tonight. Really appreciate it. Off the wing, Mac. Thank you so much the for chicken wing. letting me join the show tonight. Okay. Say hello to everybody up there, Mrs. Coco, and your menage of animals. Okay. I guess he really is off the wing. Wow. Okay. Raven, it's that time of night. I'm sorry. We have to say goodbye That's to you. Okay. This Thank is like I've been watching a French movie from like 1948 or something where the actress just stares into the camera lens. And tells you all her troubles, her ups and downs. And just call it <laughs> La Raven. Oh. Ooh, <laughs> fancy. <laughs> wow. Good title. Thank you, Raven, for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Good night, Raven. Good night. One, one. Yes, sir. Okay, I'm waving to you over the puddle, okay? Okay. All right, let's talk soon. More developments Cheers, down the coma. There's someone running around Plamond who looks like Juan Juan 10 years from now. He looks exactly like him, but he has gray hair. And he drives a cool car, and there's, there's a whole menage of young girls around him <laughs> at the beach calm. Anyway, Unbelievable. Yes, it really is unbelievable. He keeps telling me this every weekend. Just we see this guy, yeah. yeah. That's my groin. It's like a good, well, I didn't, we didn't go that far. <laughs> Thank you, Juan. Juan we'll talk to I you I want to meet this guy. Okay, well, come on over here, because we're not going to fly him over there. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. And uh, this is Mac from the entire gang. Until you hear us next time, please be safe, be happy, and... Bye-bye.